0: Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tom Salemi. Got some really cool news for you. One of you folks, more than likely, was our 100,000th podcast listener this weekend. Someone clicked on that old button and became number 100,000. So since we've started this podcast, We've had 100,000 people, I'm guessing maybe some repeat customers, uh, listening to this podcast. So I don't know what it means other than that's just a really cool number. And I'm really, really grateful for the support and for you tuning in. So thank you for that. Thanks for uh, sticking, with what, sticking with us. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. We spoke with Khalid Ishak, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Pixium Vision. Pixium has an implantable device, a tiny device that goes actually behind the retina that can uh, restore the vision of people with AMD. And they have actually a couple of different platforms uh, that different technologies that can be used to uh, potentially use to restore vision. They've got uh, Prima, which we talked a lot about in the podcast today, and iris, which we actually talked about. I interviewed Khalid when I uh, walked the floors at ESCRS a little while ago. So it was great to visit with Khalid. Uh, He is a bioelectronics guy who found his way to ophthalmology and uh, just is demonstrating how far along both ophthalmology and the bioelectronics field have come to have companies like Pixium Vision out there generating really great news, and we hope to see really great data. They had their first human implant of their Prima platform uh, this past week. They announced it last week, actually, in France. So there's another study coming up in the U.S. Uh, Khalid will get into that in this podcast. I'd like to just uh, make one note before we get into this great conversation with Khalid. If you intend to attend OIS at ASCRS, which is happening on April 12th in Washington, D.C., you have until Tuesday, excuse me, Thursday, February first, to register under our uh, early bird cost. You'll only pay eight hundred ninety five dollars instead of the full price of ten ninety five, one thousand ninety five dollars. So, if you know where you're going, keep a couple hundred bucks in your pocket and register before Thursday. Also, if you know you're going to all three events, so that's OIS at ASCRS, OIS at ASRS in July, that's in Vancouver and OIS at AAO in Chicago, then you need to register by, if you register by Thursday, February 1st, for all three, you will save 30% off the registration costs of all three. That's our triple play package. So if you know you're going to be with us all year long, why don't you just register now and uh, you'll save a whole lot of money and you'll get to enjoy three great events. Now let's get into this conversation with Khalid Ashok. Of Pixie Khalid Ashak, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Tom. I'm excited to uh, have an opportunity to talk to you.
0: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. Last time we spoke was on the floor of uh, ESCRS, uh, it was uh, it was a a lot noisier than, than this. So it's nice to have a chance to finally sit down and uh, and connect with you in a, in a more polite setting. I wanted to get into uh, the news that uh, Pixium Vision has uh, announced last week. But I always like to open up the podcast, just uh, trying to understand a little bit more about our, our guests. How did uh, you find your way into uh, into ophthalmology and, and leading a startup like uh, like Pixium or a company like Pixium,
1: uh, Tom? So my, my personal passion over the last, uh, I, I should say, ten fifteen years is uh, is the brain, and uh, I worked previously uh, on deep brain stimulation neuromodulation space uh, to address uh, solutions for Parkinson's so bioelectrical medicine was becoming uh, quite a passion for me an opportunity from uh, contacts in the venture uh, market space came along to look at an opportunity here where a neuromodulation potential to address blindness came up and I frankly knew very little about ophthalmology in the space but very quickly understood the bridge from the eye to the brain because we don't see with our eyes, we perceive and vision in our brain. And the connection became even more fascinating for me to then take up uh, the opportunity to uh, lead the team here at Pixit Vision four years ago. So what
0: what's the... State was Pixie in at the time. Was it a privately held company? Was it publicly held at the time? What what entity were you? What kind of entity were you joining?
1: So I joined the company uh, after its formation. It was still in a private round A financing was secured uh, with uh, two projects at the time. One was in clinical, uh, the previous generation epiretinal deva- device called Iris, and uh, what fascinated me was a new uh, concept project which the company had managed to license from University of Stanford in California uh, which to me was just the pushing the frontier of neuroscience uh, bridging photons to neurons from to to create vision again and uh, that was the state of the company at the time uh, a proof of concept first-generation epiretinal system in clinical and uh, a, a new project which the company was considering uh, and financing uh, at the time when I joined.
0: So let's get it. Let's get into that. I assume we're talking about the Prima Bionic Vision System with that uh, the second product.
1: That is the new generation uh, platform, which uh, over the last four years we have taken from concept through the preclinical uh, development, industrialization, and brought it all the way now to first in human uh, phase uh, in almost four years uh, in
0: Pixium. Terrific. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about the device and about your recent news? You last week you had a, a very important announcement, which uh, which drew me back to talk to you. Uh,
1: indeed, I mean we're we're really excited about the uh, uh, the capability, and the, it's uh, to be sure this is just the very first step. I often compare uh, the the bionic vision or vision restoration capabilities. Uh, to be like uh, the space program where we have now sent the first astronaut up into space and we are trying to learn what are they seeing or observing or feeling uh, before we shoot towards the holy grail of vision restoration, which one day will be uh, reading capability as well as face recognition. But uh, this technology uh, development or promise of this technology was but all the learning in ophthalmology and vision restoration over the last 20, 30 years, that it was possible, but the technologies were not there, or very, very challenging, either from a surgical point of view, or we just don't know enough in terms of bridging uh, the eye to the brain, uh, photons converting light into electricity, and how would it then be perceived by a person? And here we are talking about very uh, fragile population, older people, age-related macular degeneration, uh, for whom there was no solution, and Prima was designed from the beginning with that pathology in mind. And that's why we are really excited that this is the very first time a wireless technology, photovoltaic, miniaturized, uh, allows us to bring, hopefully, a a new hope, gives a new hope to uh, this population who, for dry AMD, dry age-related macular degeneration, And uh, that's a very promising first step uh, for us.
0: Terrific. Tell us a bit about about Prima and how it works. So uh,
1: Prima is like any typical vision restoration system, um, uh, working on the basis of stimulating the residual neuronal cells, retinal cells, consists of an implant. Um, and there are different approaches to place implants in the retina, either on the surface of the retina or below. We're going here now with Prima below the retina, exactly at the uh, level of the photoreceptors, which no longer function. And then there are external components, uh, a pair of glasses with a camera and a pocket computer, uh, which then wirelessly connect to the uh, implant uh, to transfer uh, external visual scenes, uh, through the implant and then reestablish the connection to the residual neuronal cells to start talking to the optic nerve and then transmitting it to the brain. And that's the basic principle here. The difference being that we have no wires with the implant. Uh, that brought the challenge of how are you then going to power it because to be able to stimulate anything with electricity, you also need to have a powering uh, um, uh, capability the elegant solution here was well, how about using a photovoltaic concept to power the device using near infrared light to create the energy uh, to power the device, which is the reason the per subject will have to wear a pair of glasses, which has a projector, mini digital projector built in to be able to communicate using near infrared to the microchip, which is like a miniaturized solar panel. Uh, I'm talking about two by two millimeter size microchip, which is only about 30 microns thick. Um, But the beauty is that we can place it underneath the retina and also take advantage of the residual pathway from the retina through the optic nerve to the brain. Um, Camera then captures the images, which are processed by the pocket computer and then using near-infrared light projects like a retro projector onto this chip, which will then stimulate the subregional, inner retinal cells, and then take up the more physiological pathway, hopefully providing a functional, useful perception to the patient.
0: So the, the glasses both deliver the image that, that is being seen, and also delivers the, the, the power
1: source to the devu- to the implant? Exactly. So the idea was if you want to place something underneath the retina in the subretinal space uh, where the rods and cones have degenerated, plus the fact that the likely candidate is going to be uh, all, relatively old, uh, hence very fragile state, you want to do the intervention uh, without having cables or wires uh, coming out from underneath the retina, so hence, light, near-infrared light, as a powering source became a uh, more elegant solution uh, on one side to speed up, accelerate the intervention, surgical intervention itself, and then uh, use the light both to power the implant as well as then using the light uh, in a smart algorithmics to be able to start stimulating the remaining retina of these people
0: so and pardon me for for re-asking the question but the 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 uh the data of the image is able to be transferred over the infrared light as well absolutely
1: so uh, the that's amazing uh computer the pocket computer is processing packets of information and then through the digital mirror integrated miniaturized digital mirror integrated in the glasses to transmit the visual information simplified because you have, with this microchip, currently, uh, to be exact, 378 pixels. So we are communicating and sending information using light pulses to stimulate those 378 uh, electrodes, where the beauty, it's a little detail, but very, very important detail, that each one of those pixels has its own return path A local return path, uh, which makes uh, which enables the possibility to provide more precision on which cells and which area you want to stimulate, without creating overlap crosstalk between uh, having a return path too far away. And this is a basic principle of bioelectrical stimulation, where you do current needs to go somewhere. But the, the design of Prima allows us to maintain and activate individually each uh, of those pixels. Please, if you would describe the uh, the
0: implantation process, what is that procedure like?
1: So it's uh, implant procedure, it's uh, a, a very typical um, uh, vitro-retinal surgery procedure um, with a vitrectomy is part of the procedure which has been required uh, and the surgeon will uh, for a two millimeter by two millimeter implant uh, will first create a, a small sclerotomy a little bit larger to accommodate the holder of the implant uh, as well as a retinotomy to be able to then almost place or even in potentially in the future inject uh, depending on the size of the chip currently we're using two by two millimeter chip uh, and uh, in order to do that he's uh, creating a uh, a retinotomy outside of the atrophic zone we are dealing uh, maybe I didn't wasn't very clear we are targeting age-related atrophic macular degeneration so the retinotomy is created just outside of the atrophic zone in the macula and then the chip is then pushed into the atrophic zone because that's where we want to create or restore the bionic vision um, once the chip is then placed underneath the retina uh, the retinotomy uh, is then closed. The bleb which was created is then by closed by removing or um, extracting any fluid from underneath the bleb, closing the sclera, and waiting, uh, uh, if needed at this time, to make sure uh, with intraoperative OCT imaging to ensure that the uh, retinotomy is closed, uh, really at the back of the... Uh, uh, of the eye, and if needed uh, silicon oil to make sure that uh, the retinotomy will close, uh, which will then which is the reason which we have to wait a few weeks uh, to remove the silicone oil once the eye has stabilized, the retinotomy is stabilized and that's it. The chip is then this two millimeter chip is just sitting uh, underneath the retina in between the retinal layers and there's no other Uh, residual opening, whether in the sclera or in the retinotomy. And that's the surgical procedure, which is between one and a half to two hours at the moment, because we have just started the feasibility study.
0: We'll take a quick break, if you don't mind, from this conversation to uh, ask you a few favors. Number one, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We'd love to just be able to send this thing right to your listening device. So if you're listening to it now, take a look at the icon. You'll see a subscribe button. Just push that two or three times. And from here on in, you'll have OIS podcast sent directly to you. You won't have to go looking for it. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, and I really hope you do, and thank you again for the 100,000 listens. That's just a great, great milestone. Give us a ranking on uh, either SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. That helps other folks find the podcast. Also, feel free to reach out directly to me. My email address is tom at healthogy.com. That is the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthagy is the producer of the OIS events and this podcast. Just tell me what we should be talking about and who we should be talking to. You can also reach me on Twitter. My handle is at MedTechTom, or you can reach us at uh, OIS, at OIS Tweets, which is pretty simple to remember. So that's it, folks. Thanks again for all your support. And now let's get back into this conversation with Khalid Shock. Is it possible or will it be necessary to... It will one? Does one chip do the job or, or do you see multiple chip, chips being implanted? Uh, maybe not at this time, but in the future. Uh, very good question, Tom. Uh,
1: this, this very much uh, depends uh, also on what the first uh, feasibility studies will show us. Uh, we believe uh, the, the original concept of this whole uh, modular design of these sub chips um, gives us the, the, the possibility to implant multiple chips uh, in the future to enlarge the visual field, um, but that will be defined uh, down the road, how to place those chips, how to secure multiple chips in place. Uh, right now we're starting with uh, a single chip to bring the first in human proof of concept that this is indeed feasible, is it is safe uh, to do that, and we are able to elicit light perception again from uh, these aged population uh, participants in this study. Where was this procedure done? So the, the, there are, in fact, two parallel studies we are pursuing in feasibility. The first one is in Paris, Fondation Rothschild Hospital and uh, hospital cancer, in hospital. these are two related uh, hospitals here in Paris where the surgery and the patient uh, re-education will be done. So technically it's a single center study in Paris, and we await to start a similar five-patient early feasibility study also in the U.S. at uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Uh, over the next couple of months.
0: And how long will these uh, trials, w- will these studies go on for? When when do you anticipate reporting some, some data on its
1: performance? So these are parallel studies, uh, staggered, let's say, a little bit. The European studies are a little bit ahead. Um, up to five patients will be implanted here in Paris. Uh, We have already reported on the first one. Uh, Additional patients also have been implanted, and they will be following their activations over time. And these Paris patients will be followed for uh, initial interim point will be six months uh, safety measurement. Uh, Over a longer period, of course, for safety, these patients will be followed for up to 36 months. Uh, But the six-month data point uh, and assessment will allow us to... uh, potentially proceed to the next pivotal phase in Europe for C marking for a larger multicentric European study uh, to start next year. The US study starting in a couple of months, five patients again um, per protocol will be followed for at least one year before the next pilot phase in the US FDA pathway uh, can be
0: planned. So what is the origin of this technology? And I'm wondering how how many iterations you went through to come up with the uh the infrared system for for both powering and, and presenting the images. Was that always the plan or or did you uh did you have a, a lot of other prototypes that, that took different approaches before discovering this one?
1: <laughs> very, very uh, relevant question here given the history as I mentioned earlier that the company um had has the experience with the previous generation also of an epiretinal wired concept uh, treating retinitis pigmentosa patients and this technology was developed from the beginning to figure out uh, using infrared technology to power the device and avoid or or, uh, eliminate the challenges associated with much larger wired concept and more complicated surgeries so the, even the surgical intervention was designed uh, keeping in view the patient population which we wanted to address, which uh, are much older and potentially sometimes even contraindicated to general anesthesia. Um, so the idea was first figure out a, a surgical technique. Can we actually put the chip where we want to put it without uh, significant risk to the residual peripheral vision of these uh, AMD patients? As far as powering the device, this frankly was a concept uh, from the beginning. But, you know, how to prove it? We went through all the iterations more during the animal uh, preclinical testing phase, both in vitro and in vivo, uh, to prove the concept that by shining a light on this chip, you will be able to trigger uh, activity of the neuronal cells but it was a theory or just proven on the bench. And unfortunately, there is no animal model which would allow us to uh, really confirm. So everything has been designed at this point to first demonstrate safety, that the surgery is feasible, and then through indirect measurements, we were able to say, well, something will arrive in the brain, uh, but... Obviously no animal is able to tell you what they perceive, so there were always these proxy tests which were being done using near-infrared. Near the origin of the technology, again, is Professor Daniel Palanker and his team at the University of Stanford. And he's been working on this concept a number of years, uh, patented the technology at Stanford, which gets him licensed, but then all the industrialization and continuous partnership with Professor Palanker and his team, as well as Vision Institute in Paris here, to develop the whole system, and the algorithmics, and the goggles, and the, all the regulatory and comply to the regulations. We went through all that over the last four years. Uh, it's a small company, we cannot do that all our own, uh, hence the global ecosystem. Um, but the invention of the original concept was very much a uh, Stanford project, uh, which Pixium partnered to industrialize and over this relatively short period I don't know what your experience of such complex class three in jargon of uh, implants is to bring from concept to um, first in human in uh, in my experience was very short but in ophthalmology innovation I don't know if what would be your experience to bring such uh, potential technology uh, in this period Um, it's uh, relatively fast it certainly sounds it to me.
0: I mean, we're obviously familiar with some other uh, retinal implants that have taken considerably longer to get where we are today. I know this is not, one of, this is not a retinal implant, but uh, this certainly does seem fast. When, when we spoke uh, in Copenhagen, we talked about uh, Iris Two, which is your first generation. Uh, or am I looking at it wrong? How, how should we look at your portfolio now of, uh, of products? What does it, where is Iris Two in its development? What does it... Um, what does it treat, and how
1: does it fit with uh, with Prima? Yep. Yeah. So, so indeed, Iris uh, platform um, with a much longer uh, development path, um, which came to Pixium, uh, and it's indicated primarily was indicated for uh, resinitis pigmentosa. Uh, so uh, that that product platform with its 150 electrodes with the uh, re uh, with the uh, explantable and reimplantable design uh, was. Uh, targeted purely for retinitis pigmentosa and we presented at the eye in the chip in September uh, results of the uh, at six-month point of ten patients uh, demonstrating uh, benefits both visual function and functional vision patient reported outcomes um, but the design uh, of that platform uh, requires now what we have observed in the clinical trial which was finished Um, that while it provides benefits, it also requires to have a longer uh, lifespan as well. Uh, Even with the reimplantable design, it's something which we continue to look at on how to improve that. In parallel, we, of course, have the new generation, which was Prima, and the choice for us is always, as a company, quite a strategic choice between two products, two pathologies, two geographies, Europe and North America and uh, this is kind of a very challenging for a small startup company to uh, to handle um, But we are uh, pursuing uh, on how to consider improving the longer lifetime for uh, the iris Implant side the actual epiretinal device uh, while also looking at the potential for Prima and what would be the timeline for getting Prima also tested for retinitis pigmentosa so Prima has the scope and the potential to address both pathologies so in in terms of our development priorities we will see uh, whether Prima is the new generation at some point point, would also supersede and hopefully provide benefits and greater than what we were able to demonstrate with um, the iris platform
0: how uh, are you how well you capitalized right now? How much capital do you anticipate you'll need to, to carry these these projects
1: forward? And, and where does that money come from? Sure. So Tixium is uh, listed on the Paris Stock Exchange since 2014, which was the way for us uh, from the uh, private phase when I joined the company to uh, list the company to raise sufficient capital to execute these two projects uh, in parallel. Um, so right now, starting two thousand and eighteen, we are uh, financed to execute both the French feasibility study as well as the u s feasibility study. and uh, subject to those results, uh, taking us to somewhere second quarter of next year, we will then decide of what is required for the pivotal European study at least to finance because that will be running a bit faster than the US pilot phase. Um, So the European study is estimated uh, will cost in the range of 25 million to bring the product to a C mark stage for dry AMD indication. The US pathway subsequently will be considered once we have the one-year results from the U.S. study, uh, and how the FDA uh, will be looking and assessing uh, before proceeding to the next phase in the U.S. So we are breaking the financing needs, uh, uh, starting with what will be required for European pivotal study first, and then eventually um, staggering behind the U.S. uh, clinical path requirements. Great.
0: Just finally, you're uh you've you've been in bioelectronic medicine for a number of years. Uh have you how has the the whole field developed? We're obviously hearing a great deal more of it, but I wonder how you're feeling that impact day to day as a CEO of a company. Are you getting more uh replies to, to messages that you would have left before because people recognize what you're doing? Or are you finding patients being more receptive to to these procedures? How how is the uh, feeling toward this sort of technology and this sort of medicine uh, changing? Uh,
1: the the world of bioelectric medicine, the more known fields or applications and benefits which has delivered already, we can talk about the cochlear implants to help uh, uh, the, 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 the severely deaf people to hear again, which used to be implanted at the beginning in adults and now are being implanted in children so that they grow up almost hearing normally to deep brain stimulators for uh, Parkinson's disease uh, or other movement disorders, and even moving towards treating uh, more chronic aging-related diseases like Alzheimer. And a very recent news was about uh, expansion of uh, bioelectrical medicine and tests, providing early positive experiences there. So, But at the same time, uh, there is still this, science fiction aspect, often the uh, general public could ask, that, is it even feasible, right? So what we are demonstrating with the advances in enabling technologies like miniaturization, like imaging, uh, understanding the cellular pathways, uh, understanding the brain, uh, that what was once considered impossible is becoming possible. And for patients or pathologies where there was no solution, and you are an AMD patient, 80 years old, you have lost your central vision, you are technically blind, you see your ophthalmologist, says, there's nothing I can do to suddenly be told now, and that's that's the reason why this is so exciting period we are living in, uh, that oh, wow, something is at least possible, you know, will it be in their, everybody's lifetime, because we're just at the first step, as I say, we we have a lot of work ahead of us uh, to, to to go through, but this is just never forgetting where we come from uh, in, in these advances. Uh, with uh, digital medicine, people talk about the connectivity, uh, miniaturization, uh, wearables, uh, augmented reality. So a lot more tools are becoming available. Uh, I think so yeah, bioelectrical medicine, for me, is you know, about to get into a mainstream arena linked to more digital space. Uh, so that's exciting. And the other part I would really comment on would be People often talk about transhuman-related discussions. Are we in a period of transhumanism? Are we also talking about augmenting humans? And my message at this point is very clear that little companies like ours, our priority and our goal is repairing and compensating handicap, which whether it's in brain-machine interfaces, uh, using bioelectrical medicine to help chronic diseases which are not treatable, by all other approaches, all the research, of course, continues on those sides, and hopefully, one day we will get there. But today, uh, bioelectric medicine is helping uh, people uh, already to improve their quality of life and independence. So, that as message uh, clearly I'm hearing uh, at all medical, med tech innovation meetings and uh, conversations. So, it's uh, really exciting that it's it's just the beginning, uh, but uh, you know, we, I, and our team remain very excited. Excellent.
0: Well, th- you should be excited. You've got uh, that's a great bit of news this week, and we we'll look forward to hearing more about the uh, the U.S. study and uh, and tracking your progress. Please join us on the podcast again sometime soon. Thank you so much, Tom, and uh, look forward to that. All right, we will wrap it up right there. Khalid Ashok of Pixie and Vision, thank you so much for bringing a little bit of science fiction to the OIS podcast. Good luck with the studies. We look forward to hearing about your success at a future OIS. OIS podcast listeners, once again, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for the 100,000 listens. It, uh, it really is great to know that you're out there, you're enjoying these stories. And I look forward to bringing you many, many more in the future. So please do subscribe so they will be sent directly to you. Finally, don't forget Thursday is the deadline for the early bird registration for OIS at ASCRS. I don't know if we call it early bird, but that's what I'm calling it. Sign up by Thursday and you'll save a couple hundred bucks off the registration costs of OIS at ASCRS. Also... If you want to attend all three events and save over thousand dollars, then sign up for our triple play package and you will uh, get registrations for OIS at ASCRS, OIS at ASRS and OIS at AAO. So sign up now. I hope we'll see you at all three events and tune in next week. Another great tale of innovation on the OIS podcast.